Thank you, praise team, for leading us in our singing this morning, and Casey for leading us in prayer. Church, please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel in chapter 3, if you will. This morning we're in 1 Samuel in chapter 3, 252,437 dollars. That's what you gave to support missions in Texas, in North America, and around the world. And that is worth celebrating, friends. It is, a, it is a privilege and a joy to be part of this church with your desire that the gospel would go forth, that you have a burden to support missionaries and to support missions so that people who have never heard the gospel can hear the gospel. A quarter million dollars is what you gave to support the gospel efforts around the world. Praise the Lord for that. First Samuel chapter three, in life there are a number of things that we tend to take for granted and we don't really miss them until we're gone. I mean, just think about that. What are some things in life that you just take for granted? And maybe you haven't missed them, but now that it's gone, you do miss them. A few weeks ago, we had a hot water heater problem. Friends, it's easy to take hot water for granted, but then when you don't have it, you sure do miss it. A few years ago, I think all of us came to appreciate toilet paper a little more than we used to, right? I mean, when you go to Walmart or the grocery store, wherever you go to do your shopping, and you see that the shelves are empty, you kind of wonder what is next. Or how about eggs for under $2, right? I mean, this is the world we live in. On a more serious note, I've spoken with many people who say they didn't realize how much they appreciated their parents until they were gone. Maybe some of you are in that same boat. Health is another thing that we can take for granted. When we're younger, we think we're invincible. And as we get older, we become more aware of our limitations and we can be woken up with certain types of news that we may have. We take things for granted and we don't miss it until it's gone. And then when it's gone, we miss it. Well, this morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel in chapter 3. The people of Israel were in a tough place. There was corruption and there was rebellion and it was characterizing not just the people, the populace, but also the leadership as we saw last week. This was near the end of the time of the judges as 1 Samuel was happening. And the people were doing what seemed to be right in their own eyes. And they were in these cycles of sin. They were rebelling against God, and then God would bring oppressors upon the people, and then they would recognize their sin, and they would turn from their sin, and then God would send a deliverer to rescue them. However, as the book of Judges goes on, the cycles of sin become longer and longer, and as the book of Judges closes, we see they are in this cycle of sin, this brokenness, this chaos, and even as we enter into 1 Samuel, they are in this cycle. They are rebelling against God. They are doing what was right in their own eyes. Repentance was fleeting. What the people needed was God's word. What the people needed was God's grace. What the people needed was God to direct them, to shake the foundations of their very lives so that they wouldn't just depend on themselves and do what was right in their own eyes, but as we're gonna see, God's word was not near. 
There weren't many revelation in that moment. From 1 Samuel 3, we'll see three things this morning. We need to understand the need for God's word. We need to live in such a way to receive God's word. And we want to find hope in God's plan. Would you stand with me as we read in 1 Samuel 3? We'll read the first 14 verses together. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was laying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and, said, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Will you pray with me? Lord, now we turn our, our attention to your word and we're praying right now that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, you have graciously given us your spirit. You have graciously enabled us by the power of your spirit to receive your word. And we pray right now that we would be changed because you are speaking to us. God, move in this place. Bring about your will. Thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we look at this chapter, the first thing we notice is that there is a strong contrast that is being presented to us. Last week, we saw the corruption of Eli and his sons in his house, but we also saw the, the promise of a faithful priest. And one of the initial fulfillments of that faithful priest would come in the person of Samuel. So our minds naturally turn to Samuel, who fulfilled the role of priest in some degree. As we saw last week, he wore the ephod, right? The, this is what the priest would wear, a priestly garment. And he is serving at the temple. And here, the dichotomy between Eli and Samuel is further emphasized. And the first thing that we need to understand is that we need God's word. Understand the need for God's 
word. That's what we see in verses 1 through 3. What the narrator tells us here is important. Samuel was ministering to the Lord, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were no frequent visions. God had withheld his word because his people were rebelling against him. God was silent in some respects because his people were seeking their own desires. They were living for themselves. They were not humbling themselves and seeking the Lord. Verse 2 clarifies that Eli's eyesight had grown dim. Number one, that tells us that he's advanced in years, but it also tells us something about Eli's spiritual state and frankly, the state of Israel's spirituality as well. Eli could not see and God wasn't giving visions. Why? Well, because of their sin, because of their rebellion. Now, first, we should note that it is only because of God's grace that we can know his will. It's only because of God's grace that he would reveal himself and his will to us. The false gods don't speak. As we move through this through this book, we're going to see the Philistines and how they worship Dagon and these pantheon of other gods. And their gods didn't speak. Their gods didn't hear. They don't see. They don't feel. They aren't alive. They can't save. This is the testimony of Psalm 115. Don't hope in false gods. Don't hope in idols because false gods have no power. But the one true and living God, he does speak. And he graciously reveals himself to his creation. This is what we read in Romans in chapter 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that are made. So then we are without excuse, right? Creation tells us that there is a God. There is someone who ordered everything, who is powerful, who is majestic, who is eternal in nature. But our problem is that we suppress this knowledge we suppress this truth in unrighteousness. And because of our utter rejection of God in our sin, he has and he may choose to turn people over to their depravity, to give them what they so desperately long for, which is themselves as king. Israel was in a tough place. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're not just talking about general revelation, though. We're talking about God's special revelation to his people. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there were no frequent visions. God had revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and then he called Moses to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt, and then he gave them his law at Mount Sinai, and after Moses, God spoke to Joshua and who led the people to the promised land, and then God raised up judges and spoke to them, and through them he spoke to the people of Israel as he would deliver his rebellious people, but things had changed. Things had changed. The people had grown so rebellious, God was nearly silent, allowing them to limp along. The corruption of the priesthood and the peoples had led to a drought of God's word. Later on, the prophet Amos would speak to this very thing, how God would withhold his word from his people. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find 
it. And the word of the Lord was rare in these days, and there was no frequent vision of God, a famine of God's word. And while they would recognize their desperate condition and they understood their need for God's word, God to move and God to speak, they would not find what they needed. Don't miss this. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 paints a bleak picture. God is fed up with his rebellious people. Theologian John Woodhouse argues that God was silent because the people had contempt for him. They despised his word and they did not listen. Friends, ours is a God who speaks. But the question is, are we a people who will hear? Ours is a God who speaks. But are we a people who will hear? In John chapter 6, Jesus shares some difficult teachings. Then in verse 66, we read that many who had followed Jesus decided to turn and walk away from Jesus in that moment. Jesus looks at his closest followers and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter responds, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Church, we need God's word. We need God to speak to us and praise the Lord, he has spoken to us. His word is for us. It is clear and the presence of the spirit of God leading us in the lives of those who are following him. We give worship and praise to him for this. We need God's word. We need his truth that directs us. God's word is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Timothy in chapter three. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Like they run wild, they go their own direction, they, they run to their own demise, not heeding or hearing God's word. Friends, we need the safety of God's word. We need the protection of God's word. We need the wisdom of God's word. We need to embrace God's word for what it is, everything that it is. It is the lamp to our feet and the light to our paths. Psalm 119, verse 105. And Jesus implies that it is more necessary, God's word is more necessary than the very food that we eat. Luke chapter four. Now, If God's word is that important, then we need to live in such a way to receive God's word. We need to live in such a way to receive God's word. Verse three is an important foreshadow. There were no frequent visions, no word from God, but the lamp of God had not yet gone out. This is a reference to the lamp that was placed at the tent of meeting, which would be burning continually as a regular, regularly burning as a statute. Things were bleak, but there was still a flicker of hope. The lamp of God had not gone out. Now Samuel, we're told, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And there's a lot of conjecture as to whereabouts Samuel was actually sleeping. And why was he sleeping in certain places if he wasn't technically a priest? Well, Samuel was now like a son to Eli, and he was serving Eli in ways that Eli could no longer serve because of his age and because of his eyesight. And that's the thing I want to focus on. We're told here that Samuel was ministering to the Lord. We can't miss that. 
Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Church, if we want to receive God's word, if we want to hear God, if we want to be led by God, then we have to have the right posture before God. We have to be humble. We have to be engaged. We have to be ready to seek and to serve him. We have to be like Samuel, devoted to the Lord, seeking to serve him faithfully. Samuel's commitment to the Lord has been alluded to several times along the way. We've seen this even in Hannah as she said to Eli that she was going to devote and as she prayed to God, she would devote all of his days to serve the Lord, to be there and to serve the Lord. We see all the different narrative statements about how Samuel was growing in favor with men and growing in favor with God, how he was serving, how he was ministering, how he was living. Friends, if we want to hear the Lord, if we want to be directed by the Lord, then we have to adopt that posture that we are devoted to King Jesus. That we will listen, that we will respond, that we will pursue him. And that's why when the Lord spoke, even though Samuel didn't recognize the source at first, he was attentive. So Samuel is there somewhere in the temple complex and he hears his name and he believes that it's actually Eli who's calling to him. So he runs to Eli to see what Eli wants. This happens a few times, of course, and Eli sends him back. Verse 7 tells us that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now, we have to be careful with this because you'll recall that Hophni and Phinehas, the wicked sons of Eli, it said of them that they did not know the Lord. Well, they had no regard for the Lord. Here, the next phrase tells us, explains it to us. They did not know the Lord. Samuel had not received revelation from the Lord in this way before. He just wasn't accustomed to this. This was not a moral issue with Samuel that kept him from knowing the Lord. This was... A rookie mistake, we might say. When Samuel hears the voice again, he runs to Eli. This time, Eli recognizes what's going on, and he tells Samuel that, look, it's the Lord who's speaking to you. So when you hear it again, respond, here I am. Your servant is listening. And that's what verses 10 through 14 record. Samuel is ready to listen. God speaks in the messages that he is about to bring judgment on the house of Eli, just as he promised. Now, some people believe that this incident probably takes place somewhat, maybe 20 years after this unnamed man of God speaks judgment on Eli's house. So however much time has passed, now God is speaking to Samuel, and he's going to give a message to Samuel who will give it to Eli, and it's all about judgment. It's all about God's judgment so what we see here is the posture of someone who is ready to receive the word of God the posture of someone who will and we see the posture of someone who is not ready to receive the word of God right Eli's heart was not inclined to listen and to obey God's word Hophni and Phinehas they were not inclined to listen and to communicate and to seek after God because they were for themselves Eli was not willing to restrain his son or to redirect his sons from blaspheming God and the abuse in their abuse of the offerings and the part of the atonement for sin. Friends, the way we live reveals whether or not we are willing or ready to receive God's word. The way that we live our lives reveals whether or not we are ready to receive God's word. 
James tells us to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. Unless we are willing to humble ourselves before God's word and listen to it, then we are just deceiving ourselves. See, friends, the problem today is not that we don't have access to God's word. That's not the problem. We have access to God's word. The problem is, does God's word have access to our hearts? Does God's word have access to our hearts? Or are our hearts hard and calloused in rebellion against him? Even in the call of Samuel, we see God's patience and his grace. And that's how God is with those who are humble before him. He is patient. Samuel missed it, right? He missed it multiple times. But God was gracious and patient with him. And and Samuel eventually began to understand as Eli directed him. And he said, here I am, speak. And God graciously spoke. See, some will die for salvation. Starvation, excuse me. Some will die because of starvation, a lack of food. But others will starve because of a lack of appetite for God's word. Don't starve for lack of appetite for God's word, right? So many have filled their bellies with the things of this world and we have no appetite for truth. And it's always to our own detriment, always. When we reject God's word, when we reject truth for the things that this world can offer us, we become spiritually dull. As the writer of Hebrews says, our hearts can get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We begin to accept sin. We begin to accept the status quo. We lose the sense of how heinous our sin is. We begin to rationalize sin in our own lives and we tell ourselves that it's really not that big of a deal. Friends, we must be like Samuel, devoted to the Lord, like devoted to the true king, following the true king, King Jesus, seeking him, loving him. Don't be like Eli and his sons. Don't despise God's word or make excuses for sin. If you find yourself in a place of disobedience and rebellion, just stop. Confess your sin. Turn to righteousness. Don't continue down a path of destruction and disregard. Humble yourself and ask God to create with you, within you a clean heart. A heart that is devoted to the true king. And that brings us to the last section, verses 15 through 21. Be willing to speak God's word. Be willing to speak God's word. Let's look at verses 15 through 21. Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, that's Eli. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now look, we can't really blame Samuel for not rushing to tell Eli what God had spoken to him, right? 
None of us really likes to be the person who is bearing bad news. We don't want to be the person who has to say, this is the hard word that I learned. We don't want to have to give the news that is not fun to hear. And what God told Samuel was going to happen to Eli in his house fits that category. It's not fun to hear. However, perhaps even under the compulsion of Eli, Samuel does speak God's word to Eli. It was a word of punishment. It was a word of judgment. Now, yes, Eli was guilty, but he wasn't guilty in the same sense that his sons were guilty. Eli's sins were more sins of omission, what he failed to do rather than what he actually did do. And Eli's response probably shows us that God was humbling him, that he was actually being open to uh, the 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 humiliation that God was bringing in his life as he says, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. I like to think that Eli is hoping in God's mercy here. God, be merciful. I understand that your ways are true and they're pure. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I can imagine Eli saying that, praying that very thing. And look, we too are called, just like Samuel, to speak God's word. We're called to communicate God's word. Sometimes, friends, it will be a word of admonishment and rebuke. Sometimes it will be turn from sin. Turn from that direction. Seek after the one true and living God. Sometimes it'll be that. Sometimes it'll be a word of comfort and hope. Sometimes it'll be a word of forgiveness and life. Know that the Lord, he is God. Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Friends, this is the message of hope. This is the message that we have been called to speak This is the message of the gospel that through Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sin. And yes, sometimes that will require us to speak a message of judgment first. Because of your sin, because of your rebellion against God, you are under his wrath. If you die in your sins, you'll suffer eternally in hell for your rebellion against him. But there's hope. There's hope because God took on flesh And Jesus lived a perfect life, completing the will of the Father in everything. All that he said, all that he thought, all that he did, every attitude he possessed, he was righteous before the one true and living God. He obeyed the law. But then he died. He died a sinner's death on the cross, a substitutionary death for your sin, for my sin. The Bible says that if We will put our hope in Jesus who died and rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death and the grave forever. Then we will have eternal life. God will make it clear what we need to say as we humble ourselves and adopt the posture to receive what God says and have the desire to be doers of what God says. Those devoted to King Jesus will speak God's word. Now, as the chapter ends, we learn more about God's hand on Samuel's life. 
God is confirming his word in Samuel's life. This wasn't just good for Samuel, friends. This was good for all of Israel. As commentator Tim Chester writes, if God is going to change the status quo, he's going to send his word. He's going to send his word. His spirit's going to be active. His word is doing things and bringing change on a personal level and on every other level. Friends, what is the state of your life right now? Is it great? Everything's wonderful? Continue to seek the Lord. Continue to follow him. Continue to put yourself in a posture of receiving what God would say to you. Or is it broken? Is it chaos? Is it rebellion? Is it shame? Is it guilt? God has a word for you. The word of the cross brings hope and peace. There is a God who loves you who loves you so much that he died in your place that you might have forgiveness of sins. Where are you this morning? And will you turn to Jesus? In just a moment, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna have a time of response. If you have questions about what it means to follow Christ, to be a Christian, to have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, we encourage you to come and let us connect with you and talk to you about that very thing. Some of you in this room are ready to be baptized. You want to be baptized because you are trusting in Christ and we would love to celebrate with you. Some of you want to become a member of this church. I want you to know that right after this service, we're going to have a membership class over here in the conference room. If you'll go out to the back and then go to the Welcome Center, we'll meet you there and we're going to have a membership class just to tell you about what our church is all about. Give you every bit of information you would need to know if you want to become part of this church family. Some of you have been visiting for a long time and it would be a great thing for you to go to that class today. Maybe you just want someone to pray with you and we'll have people up here who would love to connect with you and pray with you. Will you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for not leaving us to our own selves and our own wisdom, but thank you for stepping into our world and thank you for making your way known. God, encourage us and support us this morning. Convict us of sin and help us to run to Christ for safety. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand as we respond?